Amen. Well, it's good to praise God together, isn't it? You guys can uh, have your seats, and we're going to continue to worship, but we get the opportunity to listen to God. So if you uh, have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those? Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have a copy of one in front of you. So our, our ushers are coming around right now. You can just get their attention. They'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, would you just take that one? It is our gift from uh, us to you. And uh, go with me to Exodus chapter 25, uh, or you can follow along with us on uh, the Bible app there. We're going to be uh, in Exodus chapter 25, kind of starting out there. There's a lot that we're looking at, uh, but today's just a little bit different because today is Halftime Sunday. Now, the reason we say this is Halftime Sunday is because, uh, I, I know there's a football game going on, but uh, the, the reason it's halftime for us is it's halfway, about halfway through our ministry year that kicks off uh, at the beginning of September every year. And so, so we do this every Super Bowl Sunday. It's kind of a chance for us to just take a break for just a minute and, and look back uh, at what God has done and look ahead and kind of refocus on our mission and where we're going and what God is doing in our church right now. It's halftime. Okay, so I, I've been uh, coaching my son Judah's basketball team, and I know it's just third and fourth graders, but at halftime, we get an opportunity to race everybody and grab your water bottles, and let's get into the locker room, and uh, we have a couple minutes. It's not a lot of time, but it's just enough time for us to, you know, highlight some things that are going well, like, bro, you did a great job getting that rebound, and I like seeing the passing and all of that, and, and sometimes, usually, there's make, like one or two adjustments that we need to make going into uh, the second half, right? Like, well, it's enough time for us to kind of go back over the game plan and the basics of what we've already been talking about and emphasizing in practice and in our preparation leading up to it. Because in the heat of the game, man, it's just go, 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 go. So, so it's, it's good for us to take a, a little break and, and, and huddle up at halftime and, and just remind everybody what we're doing. And you never know where you're going to be at halftime. Uh, we've had uh, a couple games where uh, things are not going so hot, and then we've had a couple of games, like yesterday, we had one of the, a couple of those games where we're like right there in it, and it, it's exciting, and just, you just never know where you're going to be. I, I've been thinking about that for our church. Halfway through our ministry year, and, and I want to tell you that we're in an exciting season of, of growth in our church. I like, praise God for that. And that's, that's fun for us to be able to look around and we're seeing uh, people getting baptized and accepting Christ as their Savior and, and people are coming to worship and, and we're connecting people with our small groups and our small groups are multiplying and we're getting people on the mission field and we're partnering with other churches and organizations and, and all of that's fun. But we've also had uh, some unexpected challenges that have uh, uh, arisen this year, right? And we had to uh, say goodbye last week to our uh, worship leader, Phil and Lauren, as they uh, accepted a, a role down in Texas, and uh, we've needed new elders and new leaders, and our small groups are multiplying, so we need more people trying to uh, connect them and making sure that, that, that we're uh, growing and really making disciples in this. And so I know that there's a lot of uh, questions, and so that's why at the end of service today, we're going to do a family chat and uh, give you some of those uh, updates and help you understand, go into some detail and where we're going and what this really looks like. But, but right now, what I want to do uh, is take some time in God's Word to kind of refocus focus on what we're doing, okay? So at the beginning of September, many of you remember, uh, we kind of launched our ministry year by changing our church's name, which was a big deal, right? And we are now Fairfax 
Bible church. And at the beginning of September, we, we spent a lot of time going over our six pursuits, the, the, the way that we're getting after the mission of our church. And we call just just pursuing the mission. That's what we were going after. Now, question, and I'm not going to call you out, okay, so you don't need to freak out about this, but I'm just wondering, show of hands, how many of you think, you think that you could say our mission statement uh, uh, for our church. How, uh, it's like two of you. That's super encouraging. Okay, a few more. Uh, go ahead, raise your hands up. I'm not going to call you out. It's okay. You think that you could at least give it a, a, a pretty good stab. You'd be somewhat close. I'm really glad our elder had his hand straight up. That's encouraging to see that. So, so here's the deal. We're, I'm going to say, I, I don't have it on the screen. If you need a cheat sheet, you can go to our website and find that out if you can. I'm going to see how many of you can say this with me, all right? Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. Come on, that was awesome. You guys did great. Let's do it one more time. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. Kind of, kind of three parts to that, right? Uh, the first is that, that vertical, vertical first, that everything is just dr driven by a passion to see God get all of the glory, which is why in our logo you see the, the crown in the Bible, because we want everything to be centered on the gospel and exalting Jesus as our king. He's the one that we want to get all the glory. That's why our church is here. How do we do that? Well, by living sent. That's why we say that every, at the end of every service, every single Sunday. We want everyone to go live sent and get after the Great Commission right here in Northern Virginia because God sent you here. And I know it may not be forever. Maybe it's just a season that you're here, but God sent you here and we want you to live, on, live sent on mission for Christ right here, but with our eyes to the nations as well because we want to make disciples of all nations as we're living in loving community because we're not just an army on a mission we're a family and so that that means then that there ought to be a, a welcome without judgment and love without condition and and forgiving one another serving one another living out the love of Jesus as we make disciples this is what we do this is what we do this is our game plan okay so we're kind of huddling up and just refocus on that that's what we're getting after. But as we take a moment to just kind of consider this and, and, and look to the second half of our ministry, I, I want to remind you, and I think this is going to be what we see in the Scripture this morning, none of that is going to happen if God is not with us. We need the Lord to be with us in this. So, so, so sometimes we would take a break and jump out. We've been in the book of Exodus for a little while, and it might make sense for us to kind of jump out of that and look at some other passages. But I think what we're going to see as we're studying here is a pretty good reminder for us, okay? And so we, we're, we're looking at Exodus chapter 25, but we're also looking at chapter 26 and 27 and 28 and 29 and 30 and 31 today. That's seven chapters, okay? That's a lot. And uh, so if I, if I were to actually read all of that, that would pretty much be the sermon, which is why you read that ahead of time, right? Like you, like, 
Okay, I know some of you got so invested in this that you just read through the Exodus and into Leviticus and Numbers and all that. We're only covering seven chapters today, okay? Calm down. We're going to do seven chapters. And what we're looking at, what we're seeing here is God's instructions on building the tabernacle. If you kind of look through these chapters, you see these, uh, these chapter titles, these section headings that kind of help you understand. What we're looking at is God's giving these instructions on building this, this tent or this tabernacle. Now, why is that good for us to go over on Halftime Sunday? Why, why, why is this uh, helpful for us? Well, because the reason that, that God wants them to build the tabernacle is so that he could be with his people, Israel. And so for us, then, this is uh, going to direct our eyes again to Jesus to see what God has done to be with us so that we could be with him. And so as you were reading um, undoubtedly reading through all of this over the last uh, week. There's uh, seven chapters, a lot of details in here, right? I mean, it's, I mean it, it's so detailed in the construction and, and, and the way that God wanted this to be designed and built that, you know, you're, you're, talking, you're, you're reading things like the 50 loops on the edge of the outer curtain and the table's got to be made of a, a acacia wood. It's got to be two cubits long and all the, uh, the colors and the materials for the priest's garment, etc. All this, all this detail. And I want to tell you this. I think that there's room for uh, re- reflecting on these things and maybe seeing some, some parallels or some connections and some symbolism here, but we need to be careful that we're not making connections that Scripture doesn't make for us. And, and, and I, I don't know that we're supposed to be trying to find application in every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. I think that there can be some good reflection on that, but the point of what we're trying to do, we're concerned with the overall theology of the tabernacle. What is this teaching us? What is the point? What is it that God is trying to say to us? I think as we look at that, it's actually a life-giving truth for us and an important reminder for us as we're starting the second half of our ministry year. And it's this. Here's here's the big idea that we're going to see in the text today. Note this. God wants to be with us. And only when he's with us can we carry out his mission. Like, that's it, guys. God wants to be with us. And when, when God is with us, we're going to be able to carry out this mission that he's given to us. Let me pray for us before we jump into God's word. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for uh, what you're doing in our church. We just, uh, we, we recognize we're not going anywhere without you. And, and uh, Lord, forgive us if, if we were looking around and we see exciting things and, and, and think that that's it. Lord, the thing that we want most is you. We want your presence. We want, to, we want to know that you are with us. You are filling us with your spirit. Even now, that, that as we're opening up God's word, that uh, we would be filled with the spirit to hear these things. That you would bring conviction. That you would bring longing and desire, new heart, and, and, and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. So I pray that we would worship you in that. And God, there's probably some good reminders in here for us about uh, approaching you in reverence and awe as you deserve. But Lord, as we start the second half of the ministry year, I'm praying that you would continue to work. God, do it. We're leaning on you and the promise that you said you're going to build your church. So it's not us. It's not what we do. And we give you all the glory. You're the one who has to do it. So be with us even now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, I think it's 
uh, God's grace that we can enjoy his presence in a relationship with him. We just certainly don't deserve that. And, and I hope that this kind of uh, moves your heart to live sent on mission for him, for his glory, and just impress on us how much we need him as we're pursuing the mission. So here's what I want to do uh, today. I want to take that big idea, and I want to just break it down into uh, the two truths that you see in that, okay? So let's look at the first part of this. It's just that God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. Can I tell you? That's the point of the tabernacle. God wants to be with us. That's an awesome truth. So, so, so let's read a little bit. Uh, chapter 25, if you're there. Exodus chapter 25. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. All right? The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. So uh, we, we kind of have a capital campaign going on here. Have you ever been a part of one of those? Uh, God is asking for this collection. He's taking up this collection from the people for a building project. But verse 8 is kind of the, the, the theme, the, the, the crux of the, the heart of the matter of what, what's happening here. He tells us in verse 8 what they're supposed to be building and why. What's the purpose in this? And so he says, uh, make me a sanctuary, a, a holy place. Why? What's the reason? That I may dwell in their midst. So the purpose is, the, the reason that they're having this tent that they're going to build out in the wilderness is so that God can come live with Israel right in the middle of the camp. Which is really, really awesome and really, really scary. I mean, this is, uh, think about this. This is a little disconcerting. You, you've, you, you, you remember that back when they were slaves in Egypt, God came and he told them that he was going to rescue them out of that and he was going to lead them into this good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be awesome. He, he's, he's proven that he's been there. He's good. He can take care of them. And, and now this is kind of taking his relationship with them to a new level because God's basically like, listen, I'm moving in next door. I think about that, like you've had some neighbors kind of move in. Can, can you imagine if it's like God Almighty is moving in next door, what that's going to do to you? And they're hearing about this for the first time after they've just had this overwhelming experience of his awesome presence and his holiness. Remember that? Because they walked up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and what did they see? It's what we sang this morning. They, they, they heard uh, thunder and lightning, and the, the whole mountain is trembling, and it's on fire, and the smoke from this thing is going up like a kill. They're freaking out over this to the point where they're like, Moses, how about you just talk to us, man? Like, don't let God talk to us. We're going to die. And, and now this awesome and holy God says, I'm moving in. And God is going to come live with them in the midst of their camp. You realize this is kind of a serious deal. In fact, we've not seen anything like this in the Bible since Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve 
and he put them in a garden. And they were experiencing a relationship with him that we've not seen since that point. Right? In fact, uh, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that uh, after Adam and Eve had sinned and disobeyed, the text says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's, think about that. That's the kind of relationship that they had with the Lord. That's the kind of fellowship and intimacy that they had, that he would just come and walk in the garden with them. But that time, after they had disobeyed, Instead of like running up and, and giving them a hug and going on a walk and just enjoying spending time with them, the text says that they, they hid themselves from his presence. Because that perfect paradise was lost because of sin. And in fact, God had to, remember, God had to uh, drive them out of the garden. They couldn't stay. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, this is interesting. It says that at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed cherubim. That's going to be important. Those cherubims like angels. Uh, he pl placed a cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Can't get back in. So sin separates us from a holy God. That would have been a really short and tragic story if the Bible ended right there. But praise God, it doesn't. That's not the end of the story. In fact, God doesn't just like wipe them out or, or throw up his hands and give up and quit like it's not worth my time. No, God stays intimately involved and he's actively working still. And so there's a major theme in the story of the Bible is this question then, how is God going to restore that intimacy and that fellowship with fallen men and women? How's that going to happen? When is that going to happen? And the tabernacle begins to answer that question. How is God going to restore this fellowship that man enjoyed in the garden? In fact, there's actually some uh, parallels between the tabernacle and creation in the garden. Uh, commentators note this. You look at chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, I know it seems like an insignificant verse, and yet it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool when we see this, that uh, the, the text says, the Lord said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses. That phrase is repeated in the, these instructions seven times. Seven times. The Lord said to Moses. Um, six of those times, the one here in chapter 25 and then again and again in uh, chapter 30, six of those times the Lord said to Moses it was a command to do the work of building the tabernacle. The seventh time, chapter 31 verse 12, God gives them the Sabbath command to rest. Six times it's a command to work on the seventh it's a command to rest. Does that remind you of anything? You see this pattern of work and rest. You see, see, what we saw uh, in Genesis at the beginning was that God did six days. He did the work of creation. And then on the seventh, he rested. And so John Salehammer says it this way, that the tabernacle is portrayed as a reconstruction of God's good creation. It's like what we saw in Genesis where he's doing the work and then he's resting and then he enjoyed this intimacy and this fellowship. Now here in the tabernacle, we see the same pattern of six times. This is the work and then there's rest. God is restoring what was lost back in the garden. 
And we also see in both the Garden of Eden and the tabernacle, there's gold that's mentioned. There are onyx stones. You remember I read to you Genesis 3 that when after sin, the Garden of Eden was guarded by cherubim, right? Well, what do we see in the tabernacle? You read it. Yeah, he asked them and instructed them to embroider a cherubim into the veil, and those cherubim also stand uh, over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Here's, here's the thing. Remember the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy? It's all one book. And so as you're reading through, you're like, these are repeated details. Wait, like I've, I've, I've seen this before. It, it's supposed to remind us of what we saw. It's just like in Genesis. Because as we read these things, it's supposed to remind us of the Garden of Eden and prove to us that God intends to restore that intimacy and that fellowship that was lost because of sin. Because God wants to be with his people. That's kind of a cool thing when you realize maybe the, maybe the significance of what God is doing then in the tabernacle help us appreciate why the narrative in Exodus kind of slows down like, I know you noticed that. Like, we're, we're, we're going through all these awesome stories, and there's so much action, and then all of a sudden we got seven chapters of talking about building a tabernacle. Like, where is this coming from? This is pretty awesome what God is doing. He's showing to us that he intends to make it possible that a holy God could dwell with his people. God's not building, not asking them to build a community center where they can just kind of come and go as they please and and, and, and swim some laps in the pool and do some seniors taekwondo and, and reserve some racquetball course. That's like not what God is doing here. He's asking them to build a sanctuary. A holy place for a holy God to come and live in the midst of sinful people. And so even though he's coming, there's still some separation here. In fact, I, I want to show this to you. Let me, let me get a, a model up here, um, if, if we can get it. Um, in fact, I've, I've actually got a better one. My, uh, my kids knew that I was going to be uh, preaching through uh, the tabernacle, and uh, so they built for us a, a Lego uh, tabernacle model, and um, I'm, the biblical accuracy of this is pretty sweet. And um, we've got like bread, uh, the table of bread, and, and the, the, the lamp stand with some real fire there, the altar and all that. Uh, the, the Indiana Jones that's swinging into the Ark of the Covenant is a little extra biblical, but I thought it was pretty cool, so we're just going to leave it there, all right? So I figured that this might, this might be a little helpful. I'm just going to leave this here uh, because uh, you'll be able to see this, and afterwards you can come uh, check out the detail. Maybe that'll help us out a little bit. But what I want you to do, uh, what we're trying to see here is the fact that not everybody just gets to go right in, okay? There is still some separation. There's, a, there's an outer wall here that... If this will work, no, not going to work. So, so there's an outer wall that not everybody gets to come into, but there's one single entrance. The, the, the point is not that God wants to keep everybody out, but he's trying to help them understand that there's limited access means you have to approach him with caution. You've got to think about what you're doing. And it's not without blood. 
There's an entire sacrificial system to atone uh, for their sins. And, and, and this tabernacle, the, the actual tent, only the priests get to go in there, okay? It's not a free-for-all. There's not visiting hours. You can't call your senator and set up an appointment, a, a tour of this thing. Like, you're not getting in. It's only for the priests, and even they've, they've got to go through the, they've got to sacrifice on the altar. They've got to wash in the water. They have to wear special garments. Otherwise, they're going to die. They have to be set apart. They have to be washed and anointed and sanctified. It's just proving the weightiness and the severity to approaching a holy God. Let's, let's zoom in on the tabernacle tent. So here's the actual tent. You can see kind of the first room, the holy place, and then the most holy place. And in the holy place, you've got the, 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 the bread of the presence on the table where they would set that before the Lord and the, the altar of incense where they're going to burn the incense. And then you've got the lampstand that's supposed to be burning continuously. In fact, do we have this? Are we able to pull up the picture of the lampstand? I have a picture of a lampstand that I, I took this while I was in Israel, if it comes up, is it going to come? There it is. While we were in Israel, we were in the, the Jerusalem or the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, and, and there's some uh, there are some Jews today that are reconstructing uh, the furniture pieces for the temple. You know, they don't actually have a temple right now uh, because right now there's a there's a mosque that's sitting on the site where their temple was, but there are those already that are uh, getting some of the furniture pieces. Uh, prepared and reconstructed in anticipation of getting a new temple, which, if we're honest, is, is kind of sad when we think of the, the, the realize that they're actually missing uh, the person of Jesus, that this tabernacle, this tent was supposed to be pointing them to. Uh, but what I wanted you to see this, because as you're getting closer, you move past the, uh, the outer curtain in the courtyard, the closer you got to the place where God's glory resided, the more beautiful, the more ornate and valuable the materials were. And so we go back to our, our tent here. Um, you can see in the most holy place, there in the most holy place on the Ark of the Covenant, um, God had said this. Chapter 28, verse 29, you read, you, you read this. Um, the 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 priest, the high priest, only the high priest was to enter, and he was only supposed to do it one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And the reason what he was doing was he was representing the people, it says, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. He's standing in and representing the people before God, and he's not going in without the blood of the sacrifice to atone for sin. And it's here uh, in this place that God said he would dwell in God's glory. Uh, he said, chapter 25, verse 22, he said he would meet with them from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. All of this, all of this construction, all of these instructions on how to carry out worship and approaching God, all of this so that a holy God could dwell in the midst of sinful people. But the tabernacle is pointing to something, or someone greater, who would be able to atone for sin once and for all. Which is why John 
chapter 1. I've got this for you on the screen. I want you to see. Uh, he's making a connection for us because here's what John says. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. He's referring to Jesus. The word is Jesus, and he came, and he took on flesh, and he dwelt. That word dwelt means to set up a tent. Set up a tent. It's an allusion to Exodus. When we read that in the book of John, we're like, wait, 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 wait. We, we, we've seen this before. This is, this is just like it was in the tabernacle. And just as the tabernacle began to answer that question of how in the world is God going to restore that intimacy and that fellowship with fallen man, the tabernacle was pointing us to the final answer. The answer is Jesus. Jesus came and he took on flesh and he dwelt or he tabernacled among us. God the Son became a man to live with us. But he didn't just come to live with us. He came to die for us so that we could be with him. Which is why then the, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, he says it this way, such an encouragement for us. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, the tabernacle is just pointing us forward. It's, it's foreshadowing what Jesus would come and do for us so that we could enter into the holy presence of God. You think about what Jesus did on the cross when he paid for our sins. In that moment when he died, the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem was torn into from top to bottom, signaling that the way into the presence of this God had been opened for us through the death of his son. It points us to Christ. And so there's this encouragement. We get to draw near. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. But, but he didn't stop there because in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. This is crazy, okay? Jesus came so that we could be with him, but then he sent his spirit. And those of us who have trusted in the work of Christ and what he did for us on the cross, now God's spirit lives in us. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. He's talking about the church now. He says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Man, this, just, this, this ought to get you encouraged to understand what's happening. What, what happens on a Sunday morning when we gather together, this is such an, a, a special thing that we can begin to experience that restored fellowship with God and enjoy His presence as we gather together to worship and exalt His name together. God wants to live with us. It's not in a building, it's us. We are the temple where God dwells and he meets with us when we come together to worship. Is that a sweet thing? Man, when, when you get up on a Sunday morning, you're turning the keys to your car, you'll be like, I cannot wait to go and experience the presence of God. That's why we are a church that is in passionate pursuit of the glory of Christ and enjoying his presence. But even that's not all. Because this promise that God wants to be with us is proven to us. It's going to culminate one day. One day, finally, in a future glory. Revelation 21 tells us there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And this promise that we're going to hear a loud voice from the throne saying this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The point of the Bible is that God is restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden through the work of Jesus Christ. And what we now begin to experience in the church is just going to keep getting better and better and better, and it's never going to end. God wants to be with us. We saw it in the garden. We see it in the tabernacle. We're seeing it in the person and the work of Jesus. And we're now seeing it in the church indwelt by the Spirit. And one day, we're going to see it again. We're going to see him prove that to us in in the promise of future glory and eternal life with him. That's just a good truth. God wants to be with us. And we've certainly done nothing to deserve that. I think about maybe, maybe you've had one of those weeks where you're, um, you're struggling to live for him, kind of messed up, feeling a little bit of shame. Sometimes you just, you just wonder, like, why would God want to be with me? Or maybe it's been a long time since you really wanted to be with him. And the idea of, like, opening up your Bible and spending time in, in prayer seems more like a chore than something that, like, is a desire, something you wanted. Can I tell you, even then, he still wants to be with us. And it's not dependent on our performance or our desire. It's on what he's done for us. And he's never going to leave. It's such an encouraging truth. We just rest in that and let the gospel promises motivate us. Think, think about this, churches. We're moving into the second half of the year. I've I've been in this church now for four years, and and it's been fun to look back and just say, God's been with us. And the promise is, this this promise is that he wants to be with us. So we're holding on to that, that he's going to be faithful, and that we desperately need him. Which actually leads us to the the second half of this. We want the gospel promise to motivate us to live for him. Let's look at the second half of our big idea. It's this, only when he's with us, can we carry out his mission? Pretty sweet thing that he wants to be with us. And we've got to be holding on to this and knowing, like, God, we need you to be with us. So we want to be faithful to this. I want you to turn over to chapter 31. Chapter 31, we're going to read a few verses here. Um, seven chapters, all this instruction on uh, building the tabernacle and and, and getting the priesthood in order and making sure that we've got them ready to go in. And then in uh, chapter 31, uh, starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, there's that phrase again, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasimach, maybe, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and all its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, 
the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So God gives them uh, kind of a blueprint for the tabernacle. You've got to remember, uh, we, we looked at this chapter 25, verse 9. There, there, there was a, uh, it was, God was very specific. He said this, uh, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. Exactly. God gives them very specific instructions. He gives them a job to do, and I love this. He also gives them the ability to carry it out. In fact, he, he gives these two guys in particular uh, to lead the charge. And I just got to tell you, these are some great baby names, by the way. Uh, like I'm, I'm imagining that day, again, when we're doing child dedication, and, and we've got up here, we're dedicating little Bezalel and Aholiab. That's going to be a sweet day. Like, like let's, let's, let's race to see who gets to name their kid that first, okay? And so God gives them these two guys, and, and, and I, I, honestly, I'm thinking about this. I praise God. If I was Moses in this situation, we'd be in a world of hurt. Praise God he gives them somebody that knows what they're doing, okay? Like, I was really good at Legos as a kid, but somehow that did not compute into a life skill. And, and, and I struggle with, like, Ikea furniture. In fact, I think I've told you this, that, that uh, the tools in our house are pink, if that tells you anything, all right? Like, when, when a project comes up in the house, my kids are like, no, Mom, don't let Dad try, okay? Like, I need somebody that knows what they're doing. Praise God. God gives Moses some people that can help. But the reason for their experience, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Don't miss this. The reason that they're able to do this is God says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. They couldn't do it without the Spirit of God. And their gifts and their abilities come from where? They come from Him. It's kind of an obvious connection for us, isn't it? That uh, we're not called to a construction project, but God has called us to glorify Him by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. And listen, we can't do the work of God without the Spirit of God. We are completely dependent on Him, we, we, which means we've got to get on our knees, we've got to get low, and ask Him in faith to fill us and empower us to live set on mission for His glory. Because if anything good is going to happen in and through our church, it's going to be a work of God and what He's doing in us, enabling us to bear fruit and multiply and make more disciples as we're living in this loving community together. We're not going anywhere without him. But I, I, I thought about like where the mission that Jesus gave us at the end of the book of Matthew when he, uh, when he gave the great commission. You remember, he said, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a sweet promise. It's only when he's with us that we get to carry out his mission. But here's why I want to make this personal. I want you to understand that the Spirit of God has gifted you to serve this church and help us carry out the mission. I am indebted to Dr. Tony Morita for this last observation. I think it's fantastic. He just reminds us that sometimes the Spirit of God empowers us to do things that aren't very sensational. Um, he, he fills uh, Bezalel and Aholiab with the Spirit to just build stuff. 
and embroidered curtains. And in the New Testament, we see the Spirit of God filling and, and empowering believers to talk, to speak boldly uh, and, and preach the gospel and to serve people that are hurting, serve people that are in need and, and to teach and to give money and give generously and to lead and to do acts of mercy and to care for widows and to care for orphans and Sometimes it's just simple stuff, but when it's empowered by the Spirit of God, it builds up the church, and it helps us carry out the mission. So don't disparage the little things that God is doing through you as you're serving Him in His church. Whether you're leading a discussion in small group, or just bringing snacks, or, or whether you're rocking out on guitar or shaking someone's hand in the lobby and helping them feel welcomed and loved, or maybe you're setting up the screen or the puzzle floor in the nursery or, you know, bouncing babies and teaching Bible lessons for the kids, or maybe you're taking a moment to pray with somebody after service, or, or, or you're texting a friend during the week to just try to be an encouragement to them, or you're opening up your home to invite your neighbors in, or you're speaking boldly about Jesus to your coworkers, or you're getting on a plane to Kuala Lumpur to go take the gospel to the nations. Let's do this together. And let's remember that we need him. I love being a part of this church family, and I am so glad that you are too. And as we're getting ready for this next season that we're in, let's just keep getting after pursuing the mission. And as we do that, as we do that, we're holding on to this promise, trusting that God is going to be with us and enable us to carry it out. Here's what I want to do. I want us to stand. I'm going to have our worship team come. And um, we're going we're gonna to pray. So if you would, just stand right where you're at. And God says he's going to be with us, and we're not going anywhere without him. And so one of the things that we do around here is uh, we believe firmly in the power of prayer, fervent prayer. We just know that God has to do the work. And so we're going to take just a couple of minutes, and we're going to pray together, okay? And I know that for some of you, this may be completely uncomfortable, and I understand that. And we're not asking, like, we're not forcing anybody to pray out loud. But what I'd like you to do is find just a couple of people around you, uh, maybe two, three, four, five people around you, and, and we're just going to pray together and be an encouragement as we're seeking the face of God and asking, God, would you be with us and help us, enable us, fill us with the Spirit of God so that we can keep carrying out the mission and live sent for the glory of Christ. Let's just take a few minutes right now, find a couple people around you, and let's just pray for our church as we're growing, as we're depending on God together.
Father, I love being a part of your church, and we're so thankful for the love that we have here. I pray that we would continue to pursue that. And God, our, our biggest pursuit is your glory. You deserve it, and we're, we're, we're holding on to this promise. You said you're going to build your church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're leaning into that promise as we look forward to what you're going to do. We ask that you would be with us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's continue to sing.